Mary's song. And Mary said, my, excuse me, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled, <coughs> excuse me, he has, <coughs> he has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Narrabeen. Good to see you guys. Wow, it's a lot darker than it would normally be. <laughs> I actually can't say that I can see you guys. <laughs> it's, it's pretty difficult from up here. Uh, that's all right. Anyway, if you've never met me before, my name's Daniel. I run the youth program here at Narrabeen Baptist Church. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you with us this morning. As you heard Leon say before, we have started a new series today a series called Black Christmas, as we kind of think about some of the darker and bleaker parts of the Christmas story in the Bible. Um, this morning, I just want to kind of give you forewarning. That th- this morning, we're actually going to be dealing with some sensitive topics. Uh, so if, if, if you're somebody who is um, quite affected by topics like sexual abuse and sexual assault, uh, and, and in general, the marginalization of women, uh, I just kind of want to give you forewarning that that's kind of where we're going this morning. Uh, I want you to know that beforehand so you can maybe prepare yourselves um, and, and, and if you want to leave the room, that's perfectly fine. Um, but I also want to say that there'll be a time after the service for, for prayer um, and reflection. If, if you would like to come up the front on the stage and talk to somebody about this stuff, you're very welcome to. Uh, there'll be male and female people you can pray with. So having said that, I'm going to pray for our time together this morning looking at God's word. And I'd ask that you join me in doing that. Dear God, we love you. Um, And we know that you love us. And we come to your word this morning and we just ask, Lord, that we could be humble before it. Uh, We could hear what it has to say. Uh, We could live in light of the truth and we could be thankful for the Lord Jesus, who is the light in a dark world. We pray these things through him. Amen. So the Bible reading uh, we had before was was, um, Mary's song. I think Mary's song is actually a really fantastic way to get to understand who Mary is as a person. Uh, One of the kind of ideas of this Black Christmas series is that we're kind of revising the Christmas card version of Christianity. And I think when you go to Mary's song, you actually get a less, you you get a real version of who Mary is. And so we're going to actually spend some time in Mary's song this morning. We're going to think about uh, some of the things that she says in that song. It's it's a famous song. It's actually a song that is sometimes called the Magnificate, uh, which is Latin. It was a name that was given to it very, very early on. And it's, it's a famous song that's actually been banned many times in history from being sung. It's a Christmas carol that has been cut off the Christmas carol list. Uh, I'll tell you a few of those, those instances where it's been banned. Firstly, it was banned uh, in India 
during the, the British colonization of India, they weren't, the, the native church, the Indian church, were not allowed to sing this song because of how powerful it was. They were actually banned from singing it. It's kind of, it seems stupid that the apparent Christians came into a, um, a Hindu country and banned them from singing a Christian song. But that's, that's what happened in India in the 19th and 20th century. Uh, it was banned in the 1980s in Guatemala. Uh, there was a dictatorship in Guatemala, and they, they banned the Catholic Church from singing this song because they knew how powerful it could be among the people. It was also banned in, in Argentina. This is maybe the most famous instance of its being banned. During the, the military dictatorship in the 1970s, uh, thousands of mothers would meet in the main square of Buenos Aires. Uh, it's, it's become famous. It's become known as the Mothers of the Plaza de Mayo. Uh, and they, they, they went to that plaza and they sang this song to protest their missing sons and daughters who the government had disappeared. The government had essentially taken them away to a concentration camp uh, in the jungle and they, the mothers of those children went to the Plaza de Mayo in the center of Buenos Aires, and they sang this song in protest. And it wasn't, they, they protested peacefully, and then it got to this point, and they sang this song, and they started to get arrested. Because this is, this is a powerful song that we come to this morning. The song that Mary sings, you know, we might have these ideas of Mary in our head as a, a young uh, girl who's unmarried, she's a teenager. Uh, she might seem feeble in your mind, but you come to this song and you get an idea that Mary is actually a brave and a bold woman. It seems odd that you would ban a song like this, but this song was banned because it bravely puts forward the case for the marginalized. It puts forward the case for those who have been pushed to the side and those who have been forgotten. And I think as we look at it, like I've been saying, I think we get a better understanding of who Mary is when we look at this song that she sang. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously said, this is not the gentle, tender, dreamy Mary whom we sometimes see in paintings when we come to this song. So why don't we uh, look at this song. If you've got your Bible in front of you, if you don't have a Bible, I think it'd be great if you could get one in front of you. And we'll take a, a closer look at this song to get a better understanding of who Mary is and where she was coming from. So it's, uh, it's Luke chapter 1 from verse 46. Uh, at this point, Luke's already, Mary's already been visited by the angel Gabriel. The angel Gabriel has told her that she will bear a son, even though she's a virgin, and that son will be the savior of the world. And then this is what Mary says. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant, referring to herself. Now, the first thing I want you to see when we, when we look at this song is that it's actually a really deep song. Uh, it's, it's really quite a deep theological song. It might remind you of many of the Psalms, and it might remind you of many of uh, the other songs sung in the Old Testament, but it's a deep theological song. It's not the shallow, angsty reflections of a teenage girl. You know, you, you can't compare this song to Friday by Rebecca Black um, or, or Wrecking Ball by Miley Cyrus, or any song by Justin Bieber, or any song by One Direction. This, this, is, this is actually a lot more meaty. There's a lot more weight to this song that Mary sings. And it actually shows that Mary, firstly, she's, she's a deep theological thinker. Secondly, it shows that she has an incredible knowledge of the Old Testament. Uh, actually, this song is quite borrowed from Hannah's song uh, in 1 Samuel. Hannah, the mother of Samuel, uh, she sang a song rejoicing when, when she was... Uh, um, yeah, when she was able to give birth to her son Samuel. And Mary re- reflects on this song uh, and writes her own song. I actually find this very interesting. For me, this is proof that Mary wrote this song uh, because I know that teenagers are fantastic plagiarizers. 
And so you come, you come to this song and you, you read this song and then you read Hannah's song in the Old Testament and you're like, yeah, Mary was certainly a teenager and this is probably her song uh, because she borrowed so much of that material. All right, let's, let's dive in and have a look at the content of the song. Firstly, she praises God because, verse 46, he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Now, we might forget the humble state of Mary uh, because she has become so immortalized in our world, uh, whether it's by religion or by art. Mary has become somebody who's very immortalized. You know, Mary's the kind of person that pop stars name themselves after in the world that we live in. But it's important to realize that that is not the kind of person who Mary was in the first century. She is not uh, significant. She's actually not celebrated at all. And I think that makes her very interesting. She was almost the perfect embodiment of a marginalized person in her own world. Let me, let me show you. Firstly, she was rural. She lived in Nazareth, which was a nowhere town in the middle of a nowhere place uh, in the north of Israel. Uh, even, even today, when you're rural, it makes you kind of invisible. Uh, people hear the voices of rural, uh, the, the rural less, which is why we didn't hear about the drought until maybe five years after it had gotten serious. Uh, but even for, for Mary, she was a rural person, which means that she was already marginalized. She was already almost invisible to the world around her. Secondly, she's a, she's a teenager. Uh, she is probably in her mid-teens. And in a, in a world that privileged age in ancient Israel, remember that Jesus says, bring the children to me, even though the disciples were shooing them away. In a world that privileged age, Mary, Mary is a child. She's also Middle Eastern. And I think this is important because she's not white European. Uh, she's not South American. She's not Mediterranean, like so much art says that she is. She's actually Middle Eastern, which means that she wasn't a Roman citizen which was the way that you got privilege in the first century. If you're a Roman citizen, then you're privileged. Uh, she's a Jew as well. Now, it, it, throughout history, Jews have been some of the most marginalized people in the world. Uh, and it was also the case in the first century Roman Empire that Jews were marginalized. Uh, and I think of particular note in this story and Luke's telling of this story, she is a she. Mary is, is a female. She's a woman. And because of that, she's also marginalized. But even though she's marginalized, God sends this rural, teen, Middle Eastern, Jewish girl, an angel, a messenger angel, and that angel says to her, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. She might be marginalized in the world's eyes, but in God's eyes, she's highly favored. And Mary reflects on this in her own song. She says, From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Now, I think it's worth taking some time to talk about this because I think sometimes Mary's favor and Mary's blessing has been a bit misunderstood. It's not that God is blessing her uh, because she has done something fantastic. Uh, Mary, God's blessing of Mary has got nothing to do with who Mary is or what Mary has achieved. The choice of Mary to be Jesus' mother was not about her righteousness, but it was really just an act of God's grace to her. Uh, it was God's gift, his kindness to her, to bless her. Actually, if you have a look at that word in the song, uh, the word where she says, from now on all generations will call me blessed. Blessed literally means to add strength to one's arms. It means to add strength to one's arms. Uh, that's why when you get down to verse 51, Mary mentions that God has strong arms. She says, he has performed mighty deeds with his arms. Because he has strong arms and he strengthens the arms of the marginalized. That's what Mary is saying here. I don't know if you, you remember that, that picture of, um, I think it was World War II propaganda, the woman uh, kind of rolling her sleeves up and doing this pose, and uh, there, it, there it is. We can do it. 
This is, this is what Mary is describing. Except rather than saying, we can do it, she's actually saying, he can do it through me. This, this is the picture of Mary, I think. In, in, in this song, this is the picture of Mary. Uh, she was marginalized, and God gives her strength. Uh, Mary is reflecting on God's kindness to do this. He strengthens the marginalized. Have a look if you go down to verse 52. Uh, this is what she says. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. And he has sent away the rich empty. He has helped his servant, Israel. Remember, Mary refers to herself as his servant as well. Remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And Mary knows that this is what God is like, because this is what God has been like to her. But not only is that what God has been like to her, she also knows this because she knows her Old Testament well. Uh, she's, she's read the Old Testament. Remember, I said before that Mary plagiarized some of the Old Testament in order to write this song. If you go to Mary's song in the Old, uh, sorry, Hannah's song in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel. Now, remember, Hannah is the mother. Uh, she was a barren woman, wasn't able to have any children, and God blesses her with a son, Samuel. And this is what Hannah says. The bows of warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who, are full, those who are full hired themselves out for food, but those who are hungry are hungry no more. She, was, she who was barren has borne seven sons, but she who had many sons pines away. So what this is saying, you can obviously see Mary borrows from this song. Um, they're quite similar. Uh, but this is saying God wasn't, it wasn't that God was mean and, and oppressive and harsh in the Old Testament. And then you get to Mary and all of a sudden he changes his mind and he's become loving and kind and, and patient. This is what God has always been like. This is what God has always been like. And Mary knows that about God. And then when we come to Luke's gospel, uh, Luke, the author of the gospel, he focuses on all the ways that Jesus also cares for the marginalized. Jesus cares for the humble. He cares for the poor. He feeds the hungry. He helps the lowly. Uh, because Jesus, as God, cares about the marginalized as well. Let me, let me show you what that looks like in Luke's gospel. Uh, this will all be fairly familiar to you, I think. I remember when Jesus stands at the front of the synagogue for the first time, at the beginning of his ministry, and he opens up the scroll of Isaiah, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to who? To, to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free. Jesus cares about the marginalized. Remember the Beatitudes? Jesus articulates them in Luke's gospel. He says, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who hunger, blessed are those who weep, blessed are you when people hate you. Um, When Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, he's talking to them about who they should be inviting to their parties. And he says, don't invite the people who are going to invite you back. Instead, invite the poor, invite the crippled, the lame, the blind. Even when you go to Luke's nativity story, uh, Jesus is visited by shepherds in Luke. You go to Matthew and he's visited by wise men and he's worried about by kings. But you go to Luke and he's visited by shepherds. And in that world, shepherds were, were ostracized. They were outsiders because they were nomadic people and they couldn't be trusted. But Jesus is visited by them because Jesus cares for the marginalized. Jesus' ministry welcomed those people who were on the margins into the center of God's kingdom. That's what Jesus is doing. He's taking the people from the margins and he's bringing them into the center of God's kingdom. And the reason that, that Luke writes a gospel like this is because he's writing to somebody who is an outsider. Remember at the start of Luke's gospel, he says, Dear Theophilus, 
Theophilus was, we, we can probably assume he was a Greek, which means he was an outsider. And so Luke is writing to him to say, Jesus welcomes in the outsider. Because Jesus, Luke wants Theophilus to know that Jesus welcomes him in as well. And what I find is particularly interesting about Luke is that there is a massive emphasis on women. There's a huge emphasis in Luke's gospel on women being welcomed in as outsiders. Uh, you go to chapter, uh, and he pays particular attention to widows, because widows in that culture were the people who were pushed to the side the most. Uh, so chapter 2 of Luke, you meet Anna the widow, and Anna the widow uh, talks to, or Jesus talks to, Jesus is a child, Anna talks to him. Um, you go to chapter 4, and t- Jesus teaches about Elijah's kindness to widows as a prototype for his own ministry. You go to chapter 7, and he raises the only son of a widow. Uh, you, go, you go to Luke's gospel, and you find out about the parable of the persistent widow, the constantly praying widow. Uh, Luke's gospel, Jesus criticizes the Pharisees because they devour widows' houses. That, that line isn't in any of the other gospels. That's just in Luke. Jesus, Luke is the only one who records that. Uh, Luke draws attention to the widow who puts all that she has in the offering so that she has nothing to live on. Because Jesus cares about the widows. He cares about the women. Now you might kind of go to me, hold on a second. Is it Jesus who cares about the marginalized? Or, or is it Luke who cares about the marginalized? You know, Luke wrote the gospel, but the stories are about Jesus. That's a good question. And the thing I want to say about that is the, the answer is actually both. The reason that Luke cares about the marginalized is because Jesus cared about the marginalized. And Luke is the curator of this gospel. He had all of these different stories that he could choose from about Jesus, and he chose the stories that emphasized that Jesus cared about the marginalized, that he cared about the women who were on the, on the outskirts. Now, Luke is actually the only gospel writer who gives us details about Jesus' disciples who were women. He tells us that women were with Jesus as disciples for most of his three years of ministry. Uh, Luke mentions that most of the, this is super interesting, most of the ministry that he and the disciples do is actually funded by women. They, are the, they, they provide the resources and the means for Jesus and his disciples to do their ministry. And that's what it says in Luke chapter 8. And I think what's most notable is that Luke begins his gospel by giving the center stage to two women. He gives it to Elizabeth and Mary. And not only are they women, but they're particularly powerless women in a first century world. Elizabeth is a barren woman who's elderly, and she likely her husband will die soon, and she will have no one to provide for her. Mary, on the other hand, is an unmarried teenager. She is, like I said before, a rural Jewish Middle Eastern teenager. She is very marginalized. Um, and Luke gives those two characters the center stage in Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2 because Luke believes the gospel that Jesus preached, that, that God will welcome in the marginalized, that he'll lift up the, humble, the, he'll lift up the humbled. And this is actually, when you compare Luke's gospel with Matthew's gospel, you find out something really interesting here. Because what Matthew does when he records the nativity story uh, is that he focuses on Joseph, which was the the conventional thing to do, to focus the story on the man. Um, But Luke doesn't do that. Actually, what Luke does is that he focuses the story on Mary, um, and he gives Mary so much airtime that Mary even gets to sing a song. She, she, she actually gets to record a song in this gospel. Uh, That's how important Mary is to Luke's gospel. And he does this for a reason, and his reason is to say that Jesus welcomes in the marginalized. Jesus um, brings those who are from or in the margin into the center of God's kingdom. 
Jesus' gospel deals with the plight of women in the ancient world. Now, I want you just to, to, to imagine this for a second. Imagine what life would have been like for Mary in that ancient world. She was an unmarried, pregnant teenager living in rural Israel. Can, I, I don't know. Like, imagine she's walking down the street. She has this baby bump, so she's obviously pregnant. Everyone in this little village knows that she isn't married. Um, they've all got their assumptions about how that came to be. But the, one of the assumptions would have been that she would be a promiscuous woman. Uh, she's gone and, and had sex with somebody who's not her husband. And from doing that, she's become married. And so the assumption of those people is that this is a promiscuous woman. Or maybe, maybe she's sleeping with many people. Maybe she just happily goes around and sleeps with whoever she wants. This is what people would have thought of Mary. Think about it from Joseph's perspective for a second. Joseph finds out that the person she's betrothed to, his betrothed to, uh, is pregnant. And again, he could go, well, maybe she's gone and slept with somebody else. But I actually think he probably is thinking to himself, who's done this to her? Uh, Non-consensually, who's done this to her? Maybe it, it was one of her uncles. Maybe it was one of her brothers. Maybe it was somebody from the village, in the, the small village that they live in. This is what life would have been like for a marginalized woman in the first century. This was the plight of Mary in the first century. Now, we might hear about that. We might hear about the plight of women in the first century, and we might think, oh, that's just so awful. It, it, it is awful. Um, that they had to endure such hardships like that. But then you might think, well, fortunately, we've progressed. Unfortunately, things aren't that bad anymore. You know, the plight of women isn't as serious as it was back then. Well, allow me a, a little bit of time to just kind of focus on the plight of women in our modern world. And I want to I do that by firstly talking about a guy called Harvey Weinstein. Uh, many of you would have heard about Harvey Weinstein. He's a, a successful movie producer in Hollywood, actually one of the most successful movie producers. Uh, his company, called the Weinstein Company, uh, they make probably most of your favorite movies they produced. Uh, to, to list a few of my favorites, Lion, Quentin Tarantino's movies, Silver Linings Playbook, he's responsible for them. Uh, he, he's got a reputation in Hollywood as a womanizer, and he's had that reputation for a very long time. But the thing is that Harvey Weinstein, he used his power to coerce women to do things that they didn't want to do. Uh, he used his, his power to coerce them to do things that they didn't want to do. And then when they were entitled to justice, Harvey would silence them with his influence. He would say to them, if you speak, you will never work in Hollywood again. There's actually an actress, her name's Rose McGowan, and she came out and spoke about Harvey Weinstein, and she hasn't worked in Hollywood since. Uh, about a year ago, the New York Times wrote an expose about him, uh, and, they, and when a few brave women stood up and they talked about the things that he had done. Uh, and and as, when that happened, the dominoes started to fall. Uh, this is what has become known as the Weinstein effect, uh, because when some brave woman, women stood up and said, this is what this man has done to me, other brave women were able to stand up and say, this is what has happened to me as well. And so many famous people in Hollywood were being ousted by the things that they, because of the things that they had done, because they had taken advantage, and they coerced women with their influence and their power to do things with them. 
Uh, eventually, this, this movement it moved out of Hollywood and it became known as the hashtag Me Too movement. I don't know if you've heard about the hashtag Me Too movement, but it, basically what, what was happening is that women would go on social media and they would post about um, ways that they have been assaulted or touched or perved on or manipulated by men for their sexual advantage. And then they would finish it by saying, hashtag Me Too. Uh, I, I remember this quite well because I went on Facebook when this was happening and many of my friends, people who I went to school with, people who I've worked with, posted these traumatizing stories. Terrible, terrible stories about things that men had done to them. So there's a little example of the plight of women in the modern world. You could, you, we could go on. I mean, we could talk about world leader Donald Trump, uh, who has previously featured on the cover of Playboy magazine, a magazine that is famous for objectifying women. Uh, during his presidency, uh, he was recorded saying that he would happily grab the genitals of another man's wife simply because he felt like it. Uh, after he said that, he went on to be voted in as, a world, as the leader of the world's most powerful nation, which I think to me just shows that people don't really care that much that he made such a terrible statement. We could talk about domestic violence directed at women. You know, Karen spoke about this a few weeks ago, helpfully. Um, White Ribbon Day is a fantastic initiative. Um, but every year in Australia, sorry, every week in Australia, on average, one person is murdered by a, a present... Uh, one woman is murdered by a, a current lover or a former lover. Now, you might have been paying attention to the media this week, and a guy called Chris Dawson was arrested in Queensland uh, because of the Teacher's Pet podcast. Um, if you've been listening to the Teacher's Pet podcast, he essentially, the, the, the accusation is that he killed his wife. You know, he's innocent until proven guilty, but that's the accusation, and the evidence seems to indicate that. Uh, this statistic reminds me that Chris Dawson isn't, he's not a single person who killed his wife. This happens every single week. We could talk about, we could talk about the gender pay gap that exists between men and women for no apparent reason except that one employee is male and the other employee is female. And so she'll get paid less. And this is, this is all the situation that we have in the progressive West. Um, when, you, when you leave Australia and you start talking about the plight of women in, in other places, it's, it's terrible. Um, you talk about the, the modern slavery movement. Slavery is still pervasive everywhere in the world today. And four out of five of those people, those slaves, are women. Usually doing sex slavery. Um, often, sorry, we could talk about the women who are deprived of an education in many countries around the world um, simply so that they can be, remain oppressed. People know that education empowers, and so they don't let them get an education. Ho- hopefully you get the idea that the plight of women still remains. Uh, it's, we still live in a world where women are pushed to the margins, This wasn't a first century problem that we've now progressed from. Our society and even ourselves are a long way from the life and ministry of Jesus. But remember Mary's words. God has not turned his back on women in these terrible situations. He hasn't forgotten the voice of the marginalized. Remember that Mary says, God has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. So having said all of those things, those terrible, bleak, black things... What do we have to say about this? I've got three things that I want to say, and then I want to point you to Jesus. The first three things that I want to say is that, firstly, to men, 
Uh, if, you, if you perpetuate this type of treatment of women, I think I can boldly say that in God's name you must stop it. If you are a Christian, this is not okay. If you are not a Christian, it's still not okay. I'm not just talking about being physically violent or sexually violent to women, although I am talking about that. I'm also talking about the way that you speak to women, even the way that you look at women. We must be careful. The second thing that I want to say is, women, if you feel victimized or mistreated, please speak up. I hope that for you, Mary's song is actually an empowering song. God listens to the voice of the marginalized. And and God asks them to sing. And so I ask that you would speak up about what's happening. And thirdly, to men, if women do speak up, you should listen to what they're saying. God gives a voice to the voiceless so that they can be heard. And what good is a voice if no one listens to it? The Bible gives a voice to the voiceless, and so should we. And if this is the character of Jesus, then it should be the character of Christians as well, who are named after Jesus, who are saying they're following in the ways of Jesus. So remember what Mary's song says. The The other motivation is that remember what Mary's song says to those people who assert themselves over the marginalized. Remember she says, she talks about the humble being raised up, but she also talks about the proud being opposed. Back in verse 52, he has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has filled the hungry um, with good things, and he has sent the rich away. God, God doesn't just raise up the humble. He actually also opposes the proud. And so when you assert yourself over the marginalized, God is opposed to you. But I also want to say that this, this world that I'm describing, this is the dark world that Jesus chose to come into. Jesus chose to come into the Harvey Weinstein world. He chose to come into the Me Too world. Uh, He chose to come into the world of famous objectifiers of women like Donald Trump. The world where they become national leaders. He, He came into the world of domestic violence. He came into the world of sex slavery. He came into the world where women are marginalized. Because the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is a bleak world that we're talking about. The light has shone into that bleak world. Where else is there light in this bleak world? This is why we're talking about Black Christmas, because the world that Jesus came into is not a world that has light. Jesus brings light into this dark world. This is why we celebrate Christmas. And that the day would come when Jesus would himself side with the marginalized. He didn't simply give them a voice. He actually stepped into their shoes. Because Jesus himself would become the victim. He would become the silenced victim who, when he was entitled to justice, said nothing at all. He became one of them. He became victimized so that by becoming one of them, he would win victory for all of them through his death and his resurrection. And the great, the great promise of Christmas is that Jesus came and he did that for people. But also the great promise of Christmas is that Jesus will also come again. And when Jesus does come again, he will bring with him the full kingdom of God. 
There will no longer be a hashtag Me Too movement in the kingdom of God. There will be no violence against women. There will be no violence at all. The, the lion will lie down with the lamb and the child will play at the mouth of the adder's nest. And that is why we celebrate Christmas. Because in this dark world, this Mary's dark world, in our dark world, in this Harvey Weinstein world, Jesus brings light and he brings hope and he brings a future. And so we praise God for that. We praise God for Jesus and what he has done for us. And we sing those praises. So let me, let me just pray and then and we'll sing. Father, sometimes your word, it, it shows us the bleakness of the world that we live in, of the world that we are a part of. And it's good to remember that because it shows us also that your light is bright. That Jesus is an incredible saviour. And that his kingdom is an incredible place. Thank you for the things that you've done for us. Through Jesus. For your name's sake. Amen.